All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined this week, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells. In this week's episode, we will conclude our recent college basketball discussions by breaking down all of the action from the Final Four this weekend, with the Baylor Bears dominating Houston and Gonzaga to win their first ever men's national championship, while the Stanford Cardinal held off South Carolina and Arizona in exciting finishes to win their first women's national title since 1992. We'll also react to the retirement of North Carolina men's basketball coach Roy Williams, who announced the end of his illustrious coaching career last week. From there, we'll look ahead to the Masters, with the tournament returning to the month of April after the latest edition was held in November due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We will talk about the biggest storylines and names to watch at Augusta National this weekend and give our predictions for who will walk away wearing a green jacket. Finally, we'll wrap up the show with our five question segment featuring questions on the Sam Darnold trade, the new Space Jam movie, and more. So with that, let's get started. Brian, we're back. Happy belated Easter. Did you have a good uh, Easter weekend? I mean, I didn't do anything other than just uh, get takeout and watch some movies. But so I would, yeah, for me personally, that is a good Easter. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I um, I gave up red meat and desserts for Lent. So on Easter Sunday, I had a nice steak dinner. And I also got uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory. So. It's pretty sad that I went to Catholic school for nine years. And when it comes to Lent, I don't do any of that stuff. I don't give up any of it. I, I eat and I eat meat on Good Friday <laughs> as well. Like I don't give up any of it. So Yeah, not... I mean, I basically use Lent as an excuse to try to be like a little healthier. But, you know, like I, I said, giving up desserts, giving up red meat, you know, don't eat meat on Fridays. And I, I don't know, it kind of helped. I, I definitely did not have the same kind of like effects in terms of like losing weight as I was hoping that I would. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping that it kind of sets me up to keep going, especially with the, uh, you know, the spring. Uh, with with summer, out, summer coming up, yeah. Yeah, it's, I know. That's definitely a good excuse to to get in more shape yeah it was uh 80 degrees here in north carolina so it's definitely oh, feeling like it's it's uh, getting close to uh pool season and everything so anyway let's uh let's jump into this we've been talking about college basketball the past couple episodes and dance NCAA tournament has concluded uh, we'll start with the men's side and Baylor dominates Gonzaga, one of the most anticipated national championships we've had in a long time. And uh, from start to finish, Baylor really was in control of this one. But uh, before we kind of focus on the national championship game, let's talk a little bit about the semifinal games. Now, Baylor-Houston, not 
not very entertaining. This was one where Baylor dominated the whole way. They they jumped out early by 10, 15, 20 points, never looked back in this one. And yeah, I, 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 I did not watch most of the game. Once Baylor got to a, I don't know, double-digit point lead or 20-point lead, it, I just stopped watching the game and, and didn't even... Didn't even watch the second half, to be honest. Yeah, Houston it never made over. it entertaining. I, I was, so when I first saw the schedule come out, I was a little surprised that Houston Baylor was the early five o'clock game, just because. I mean, if you just look at it from a seed standpoint, Houston Baylor that was one versus a two seed. The other side, you had a one versus eleven. So I was like, oh, that should be the late game, right? Because that's the one that I think will be a little closer, just given that the uh, the two teams are closer in terms of their their seeding. But uh, you know, the more I thought about it, it's like, okay, well, Gonzaga's undefeated. And UCLA is a huge name. Their team, I know they're an 11 seed, but they're one of the greatest programs in the entire sport, you know, with all their championships they've won. Maybe it also has to do with the fact that they're both on the West Coast. That true, because that would have been like a two o'clock game for their fans. But regardless, the NCAA ended up making a great decision because the nightcap wound up being not just the best game of the weekend, but arguably the best game of the entire tournament with Gonzaga winning 93 to 90 over UCLA in overtime. This is one both you and I thought was going to be a blowout. I kept waiting for Gonzaga to pull away. I thought when they had a, a flagrant called against UCLA Gonzaga goes up by seven in the uh, second half that that was it and UCLA hung around and it wound up being uh, just a a phenomenal game with a phenomenal finish yeah you know how uh, me you and Ben talked about would we like to see Gonzaga uh, have the perfect season I'm not gonna lie once they got to the final four and they were going back and forth with UCLA it made me realize you know, I don't want the perfect season, even though it's not <laughs> Kentucky or Kansas or Duke or some other team that's uh, not as well liked as Gonzaga. I I kind of I kind of enjoyed uh, the the back and forth between uh, Gonzaga and UCLA, and I was even though I had Gonzaga in my bracket and everything, I was definitely rooting for the upset, especially since we've never seen an 11 seed make it to the championship game. We've seen an 11 seed make it to the Final Four several times actually, but never the championship game and and even though UCLA did not win that game they played as well as you could especially against a team like Gonzaga yeah I was definitely rooting for UCLA in that game even though I also had Gonzaga winning it my my pools I I was just so behind because the rest of my bracket was just so terrible that it wouldn't have mattered anyway but you know it's it's one of those things for me where I I'm disappointed that UCLA lost that game. I I wasn't happy with the way it played out, but at the same time, it's how can you not think that was like such an amazing game and like such an awesome way for uh, Gonzaga to pull out that victory as uh, I I was, I was saying to myself that, you know what? I'm rooting for UCLA, but if Gonzaga wins, I would like it to be in the the coolest way possible. And and it happened with a buzzer beater uh, in overtime. So, so yeah, it was one of the best. It was no, it was the best game of the entire tournament, and and yeah, and I, it was and the I only hate, game to end on a buzzer beater as well, because Abilene that, Christian beat Texas on free throws. Free throws, late. right? Uh, yeah, so I think this is the only one that was like a true buzzer beater. Of course, Alabama tied it against UCLA back in the Sweet 16 to send it right. to overtime, but, but I think but this that is the only to, one to win. That went to overtime. That that mm. was the only buzzer beater to win the game. 
Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, as I'm watching this, I'm getting flashbacks of the uh, North Carolina-Villanova game in 2016 where so UCLA scores with three seconds to go. Johnny Juzang grabs his own miss, puts it in, right. and they, that ties the game. And I, I just remember in 2016, Marcus Page hits this incredible three-pointer to tie the game at and, and then Archie, against Villanova. And then Archie yeah. Diacono dribbles up the court, and then Jenkins right next to him is wide open, and he takes, Knocks he takes the D3 open three to win it. Right. Yeah, and as soon as Page hit the shot, I everything that played out, I envisioned my head with Villanova. It's like, all right, now they're just going to go and win it on a buzzer beater. And that was immediately what came to my head when, when Gonzaga calls a timeout and you get time. It's like, okay, you still like, tied it, but there's three seconds left. Like, I totally see this ending in a buzzer beater. And, of course, that's what happens. Jalen Suggs banks in his shot at the end. And, I mean, it's totally different circumstance. Like, yeah, I was rooting for UCLA. I wasn't devastated. This wasn't a team that I root for losing. But it was, uh, it was certainly something that I... I saw it coming because the pessimist in me always sees something like that, and I experienced it just a few years ago. And uh, that kind of brings me to like one thing that I think is worth pointing out because he's kind of getting ripped to shreds for this, and I know he's someone who you have voiced on this podcast that you are not a fan of him and his Twitter account, and that is Skip Bayless. So this is what I was going to bring up, that, oh, uh, how can you call that one of the best college basketball games ever if... If it was one on a lucky shot, like, go F yourself, Skip Bayless. <laughs> you suck. He makes, he has a four-year, $32 million contract at Fox Sports. It blows my mind that he makes that much money when there are people with actual uh, useful jobs, especially frontline workers that make so much less. And then there are people in his field that know what they're doing that are making so much less than he does. And he's he's a fraud, and I just, that... Those tweets that he had after after that game, it just drove me nuts. Yeah, he he's definitely there to entertain, but he does it in the wrong way. And like, so my reaction to this. So first of all, in April 2016, when Villanova beat North Carolina in the way they did, his instant reaction was to tweet in all caps, greatest college basketball championship game ever. Now, I get it. Chris Jenkins' shot was not necessarily a bank. It wasn't as lucky as Jalen Suggs, if you want to call it that. But it was still a deep three-pointer. He's still 25 feet from the basket. Didn't matter to Skip Bayless at the time how that game ended. It was the greatest game ever. You know, regardless, though, just so the the last second of the game overshadows the first 64 minutes and 59 seconds. Like a game that goes back and forth like that just because the shot is is maybe a little miraculous it wasn't just a, a straight you know, yeah it was, a, shoot three. it was a big it was shot. like a pull-up yeah. prayer like that that makes it not a great game i i think it's such a ridiculous take and one thing i'll say is i don't know how much of this like if i was rooting for gonzaga obviously i wouldn't care how gonzaga won the game so i don't know how much of this is me as a someone who was hoping that they would lose uh you know, I, I think it would have been nice to see it go to double overtime and see what happens from there. But do you think it would have been a better game had it kept going and maybe not ended on a buzzer beater? Or does the fact that it ended on a buzzer beater make it? I think I think the, the latter. I think I think the fact that it ended on a buzzer beater is it. I, I love buzzer beaters. Yeah, I, just, I think so as me, well. Though. I think I think like if you just look at it from a neutral perspective, <laughs> the way it ended is better. It would have been great to keep it going because it was such a competitive back and forth game. Just to see these teams go at it all night. But my, my 
my instant reaction when Suggs hit that shot was, ah, oh, damn, because I was rooting mm-hmm. for UCLA. But then minutes later, uh, taking in that game, I'm thinking, man, that was a really good game. And it yeah. ended in a really cool way. Yeah, awesome game, awesome finish. And in the end, it ended up kind of being a, you know, a moot point to you know have all these discussions about it and talk about it because Gonzaga goes on to just get blown out by Baylor. And, I mean, this this game was... People are saying it was the most anticipated national championship game since North Carolina and Illinois way back in 2005. Coming into the season, Gonzaga was number one. Baylor was number two. Baylor was undefeated for almost as long as Gonzaga. They had a COVID pause, lost a couple was, of games. That's what I was just about to ask. Like, didn't they have a COVID pause that effect that led to them having those two losses on their record? Yeah, I mean, basically, they. I think they didn't play for three full weeks. They came back. They lost to Kansas. I think they lost pretty good uh, in Lawrence, and then they lost to Oklahoma State in the the Big Twelve tournament semifinals. So they wound up with those two losses. But it, I mean, if, it, it, under normal circumstances, this is a team that had enough momentum that we could have ended up. Seeing so we could have two seen undefeated two undefeated teams. Yeah, that's why I was going to ask. Yeah, and like you know, in the end, Baylor proved that they were the best team, and I think that everyone is glad to see this kind of game. I think if Gonzaga and Baylor played like a best of seven series. <laughs> Gonzaga would have been able to win some. They certainly wouldn't have lost in the way they did every single time. But just an unbelievable shooting performance by Baylor. Great defense as well. You know, with them jumping out to a nine nothing lead early and just uh, continuing to pour it on. It was Sixteen every time, to four. At yeah, one point every too. time that Gonzaga kind of started to make a run. So at one point they went on like an eight zero run to cut it to twelve late in the first half, and then they went up scoring right at the end to cut it to ten at halftime. And I, I remember like. It was like, okay, Gonzaga's actually coming back. Because for the, for the whole first half, I was like, Baylor's just going to run away with this. It's over, like, crowning national No, I, no, I thought it was inevitable that Gonzaga would come back in that game. And they did make it to single digits. They made so it they interesting sort of came back, but at bit. the same time, Baylor just kept kept making shots on offense. And by by that point, this, midway through the second half, you could tell it was never going to get better for Gonzaga. Yeah, I think the moment that really put this game away was when Baylor blocked, I think it was Drew Timmy. He he got blocked inside and Baylor was wound it by up going Vital? Down. Yeah, Vital, Vital with the block and uh Baylor wound up going down the court and I think his name's like Flagler or something like that. Flagler. He's, he's a yeah. bench player. Yeah, he wound up hitting a three. That put Baylor up 67 to 51. And I think at that point it was like, all right, this is basically it. Gonzaga yeah. was never really able to bring it that much closer. And 16 points wound up being the final anyway. So even though I was rooting for UCLA in the semifinal game, part of me is kind of glad Gonzaga won because of the matchup between the two best teams in the country. And we got to see who was the better of the two. And yeah, Baylor obviously dominated pretty much that entire game. Yeah, I think it's kind of you know easy to look at it and say, oh, Gonzaga got blown out anyway. Maybe UCLA could have made it closer, but Baylor was much better than Houston, and I, I think that they would have put up a similar type of dominating performance against UCLA had they won. Like, let's not look at it and say that Gonzaga is like this bad team, which of course that's what a lot of people are starting to say. Oh, they're this fraudulent team and they didn't play anybody. And I think in some aspects it is fair to kind of question what their result would have looked like had they been in a different conference because yes, they played a lot of 
tough non-conference teams to start the season, but then they start to get into conference play and they're facing like Santa Clara and Pepperdine and San Francisco. And I know they play BYU three times who, who gave them a bit of a battle, a couple of those contests, but Gonzaga didn't really face a ton of great competition from late December to March when the tournament started. And I, I think do I wonder totally... if that could have made them a little more prepared to take uh, on a team like Baylor in the end. Yeah, I think that's a totally fair point. I just, I guess, I just thought that they were that dominant of a team. Not only were they beating all the teams that were on their schedule, but they were winning by double digits, and they never had a single digit win until the UCLA game. Yeah, they, I think they beat West Virginia by five in early December. Oh. But yeah, it was, it was that was their first time I think in in twenty seven straight games. And that, that's not to say that Gonzaga's not a great team. They Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert are both going to be lottery both top picks. ten lottery picks. Yeah, so this they they have a ton of talent on this team. Drew Timmy is a monster. He's someone's going to go to the NBA. Joel Ayayi, he could end up being a first round pick. Uh, Andrew Nemhard is someone who's uh, certainly getting some NBA draft buzz. So Gonzaga is a loaded team. So not to say that this isn't a great team, but it's just one of those things you kind of look at and say, okay, is this really a team that would have gone 31 and 0 if they played in say the PAC 12? And is this a team that could have maybe had uh, a better opportunity in some of these games? Now, all that being said, they won five games against other tournament teams. They beat Creighton, they beat Oklahoma, they beat Southern Cal, they beat UCLA. I know none of them are necessarily like top, top teams compared to Baylor, but they're still teams that, uh, you know, they're, they're power five teams. So another thing to point out about this game, it made me realize why so many people rooted for the, the Giants over the Patriots. There is a little bit of a comedic factor in uh, an undefeated team. I mean, it sucked for me personally, but yeah. But <laughs> there is a little bit of a comedic factor in in seeing the team that is undefeated all season lose in the biggest game of the year. Well, it's only the third time it's ever happened on the men's side. It was the first time since 1979 when Indiana State Larry Bird lost to Magic Johnson in Michigan State. Michigan State, right? Yeah, and we we've seen teams recently lose in the the semifinals so UNLV I think in 1991 when they lost to Duke by 30 that was a big one and then more recently that Kentucky in 2015 losing to Wisconsin Wisconsin yeah Yeah, and I think at that point you're still a couple games away but yeah being in that final game where it's like you win and you cap off the undefeated season I I think that's a really tough time to lose and I, I don't know if I would look at it as like hilarious and comedic seeing Gonzaga lose like that but it is uh it's it's certainly one of those things where they get to that point you're either going to pick a side you're going to say I want to see history happen or I don't want to see history happen and I I totally understand not wanting to see it happen yeah pre-tournament I was very lukewarm on whether if I wanted to see it happen or not and then once once the moment uh, arised with them in the championship game I'm thinking no I kind of want to see them lose yeah yeah, I mean, I I have nothing against Gonzaga uh, for the most part, but I I definitely and did that's not. why I had a tough time with that question at first mm-hmm. because I had nothing against them, and I still don't. But it, it was still I still found it a little enjoyable for whatever reason. Yeah, and in terms of looking forward, Gonzaga is already the favorite to win next year, even if they lose some of their guys to the NBA draft. Mark Few is going to another. Do they have a great class. recruiting class? They do. Yeah, they. So Hunter Salas, I think he's a number six prospect in the country. He's committed to Gonzaga, and they're expected to land Chet Holmgren, who's a number one. 
another Minnesota guy just like Jalen Suggs. So Gonzaga should be loaded again, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can finally pull through. They uh, they made it to, to the Final Four for the second time in five years, but they're still awaiting that first national championship under Mark Few. Because they're as good as they are, is there a way to for their basketball team to be in a different conference or have a have have their schedule be a little bit tougher and have them face more difficult teams or is there any I way mean, to do that? Or, they, they, they I heard there were discussions uh somewhat recently about them potentially moving to the Big East, but they would only do it if they could take St. Mary's with them and that's just that just sounds ridiculous having two West Coast teams in the Big East. So, I don't know if it could happen. They don't have a football program. I'm not sure what the other sports programs are, but I don't know if it makes sense for them all to go to say the Pac-12 just because of the men's basketball team. But but you know what I mean though. They're the best one of the best pro- basketball yeah. programs yep. in the nation, but they don't play in a very strong conference. No, and you know, I don't know if there's really a true incentive for Gonzaga to leave the West Coast Conference. If they can still be the number one overall seed in the tournament, uh, you know, I don't know if it, it makes a huge difference for them at this point, even if uh, if it feels like they may be a little more battle-tested somewhere else. So that'll do it for the men's side. Let's uh, Let's talk a little bit about the women's side. So Stanford ends up winning the national championship, really the opposite of Baylor. Baylor won both of their games in dominant fashion. Sailor, Sanford pulled out two one-point victories. They they beat my South Carolina Gamecocks in the semifinal, and they beat Arizona in the national championship game. Both those games, the other team had a chance to win at the last second. Uh, buzzer beater just did not fall. So I guess we can talk first just about the Sanford-South Carolina game. And that is a... Very devastating way for South Carolina to lose with uh, Aaliyah Boston having a chance right at the buzzer, just right in front of the basket, and just uh, the the rebound put-up effort just could not fall. And that was the game where I went into it just kind of thinking that Sanford was supposed to be the better team and that they should win the game. So it it was tough to see the Gamecocks lose last second like that. Absolutely. And then, and then the same exact thing happened. In the yeah, very with, next game, with in the championship game, where yeah, yeah, Arizona's down by one with, I think it was five seconds left. Yeah, it was five, five seconds, seconds left. left. It was actually a similar left. scenario because when they get the South Carolina game, Stanford turns it over, and this one they turn over as well. I think against the Gamecocks, it was it was just a full continuation turnover, go to the basket. Arizona had time to drop a play, and the yeah, play they, they, yeah, had, they had time to drop a play, but then all of a sudden. Uh, whoever it was that had the was, ball. Like, yeah, she, so Ari McDonald, she was she's their best player. She scored 22 okay. of their 53 points. Everyone knew that they were getting the ball. That was a Stanford player said. That's why she wound up being triple team there. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where in a perfect world, you want her taking the last shot, but the shot she put up was almost impossible. Was atrocious. <laughs> she had wide open teammates. If someone were to cut to the basket, then... That, that and and it's a one-point game. You don't need a three there. No, you can no, easily they, get a two. They did win. not at all. They had five seconds left. It wasn't a thing where you should have to catch and shoot. She had multiple seconds to try to get herself open and, and couldn't there. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, the right person took the shot. It just didn't fall. But in terms of just a basketball play that that wasn't necessarily the, the best move there. And I, I know a lot of people are talking about, oh, well, Michael Jordan passed it to Steve Kerr 
for the game-winning shot in the the finals. So that kind of similar situation. But at the same time, Danny Green wound up taking the the potential game winner for the Lakers this year, and that also didn't fall. So I guess there's two ways to look at it. You'd rather have McDonald miss a shot than someone else miss a shot. So you would rather have their best player take the shot even double-teamed rather than passing it off to someone? Or to, no, to I mean, I, I think I think that it, it would have made sense for my basketball play, but there's... I think it's fair to kind of look at it and say that, okay, well, this is your best player. See if she can make a shot versus someone else getting the ball and not being able to score anyway. But if you're talking triple teamed three pointer versus wide open under the basket, yeah, you're going to take the wide open of the basket every time. It's just I guess there, the, like, I, I guess there are times in the NBA where uh, I, I some, sometimes it's best to drop a play and, give it to a guy that is not the main target. But then sometimes when you have someone like Michael Jordan or whatever, just give me the damn ball and let me try to score. And it, it's frustrating seeing some of those best guys like feeling like they have to take the shot and they end up taking up a bad shot just to, to take the game winner. And uh, I think that's kind of what happened in this situation. And regardless, though, I, th- I think it was a great run for Arizona being a three seed and advancing all the way to the national championship game their their victory over UConn was awesome. I know you and I talked last time about how we're not fans of UConn's women's team. So I was very happy that Arizona was able to pull that out. And I was, I was very happy for their head coach, Adia Barnes. And uh, so going into the final four, the NCAA put out a hype video for the women's side and Arizona just was not mentioned at all. So they had to That's delete brutal. it and make a new one. Yeah, there are so, four teams. Yeah, right. There's four teams, and they they didn't include them. So Adia Barnes was caught by like the ESPN camera with her her team like after the game celebrating like you know, with middle finger saying "f you," basically like just saying "f you" to everyone who doubted us. Like, look at us, we're in the national championship now. And I, I think that's totally fair on her part. Like, I'm, I'm fully on her side. She didn't apologize for her at all, which, I mean, when you don't she, put one of four teams in a video, then there's no, no it's reason. Not, it's not 64 like, where you're, sorry. you're hyping up the entire tournament. <laughs> it's yeah. a final four. There are four teams. That's not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that, I, I don't, that was awesome. I don't blame her. And yeah, certainly rooting for their side over UConn's. Yeah, so I mean the the women's tournament, it, at least in the final four, it, it's always so entertaining. The past few years, a lot of times you see UConn losing on a buzzer beater, and uh, of course this year you had Sanford, Arizona come down to the wire, Sanford, South Carolina come down to the wire. So uh, very much entertaining watching those games, especially at the end. I mean, there were so many games throughout the women's tournament that were just as, if not more, entertaining than the best men's games. Baylor, UConn, and the Elite Eight was a great one. Would you say this was the most entertaining tournament, or was it when South Carolina won? For, <laughs> I mean, for personal, personal reasons, or I, I, I guess that was my favorite tournament. But that that was one game where South Carolina, I, I don't know if they dominated is the right word, but I'm pretty sure that the Gamecocks won by like eight or ten points in the national championship game, which uh, feels like a rarity. I mean, if I were to say the most entertaining national championship game, I'd probably go with Notre Dame over Mississippi State. I think it was in 2018 with a. Uh, Arike Agumbawale. Yeah, Agumbawale. Yeah, yeah, game winning three pointer. That that was. I'll never have uh, more joy watching uh, a NCAA women's game than uh, Notre Dame, UConn, and uh, Arike Agumbawale. It's the yeah, dagger. Two games in a row. 
and then and then she hits it on the national championship game. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I know. It, I know. I know. I've talked about that before, but but that uh-huh. that was by far the the most joy I had. I was literally uh like off my seat when that shot the first the first uh, shot went in uh, in the against the in the Yukon against Yukon. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I I was the same way for that one. Uh, so I guess just real quickly on Sanford. So their first title since 1992, which I I find that very surprising because their women's team is always pretty highly nationally ranked i know they've been in the final a few times in recent years so uh, i thought that was surprising when i heard that but that's that's definitely great for tara vanavir who's one of the winningest coaches in women's history so good for her to win another championship first time in 29 years so with that let's uh let's wrap up the ncaa tournament talk and real quickly before we move on from college basketball entirely Let's talk about uh, one of the biggest stories to come out of the sport that wasn't related to anything on the court, and that is North Carolina men's basketball coach Roy Williams announcing his retirement after 33 years as a head coach, the last 18 with North Carolina. And uh, it's definitely sad for me. when uh, So he announced it on April 1st. So when it first came out, and I'm like, please be an April Fool's prank, but... You know, as uh, more time went by, it became pretty clear that it was real and just kind of a poorly timed announcement from that perspective. But it's uh, it's tough to see happen. But I'm certainly thankful for everything that Roy Williams did at North Carolina in his 18 years, three national championships. And it was uh, a lot of a lot of highs, certainly some lows with uh, the latest being the 2020 team just really struggling and I'm sure that the past couple seasons were a big part of why Roy Williams decided to announce it you know and call it a career and feel like he can't do this anymore but uh it's it's still still sad to to know that he's not gonna lead the Tar Heels anymore and I'm uh I'm certainly hopeful that the team can can go in the right direction from here out of all the best college basketball coaches of our time i feel like roy williams is the one where it was he was impossible to hate like guys like mike shashevsky uh jim Beheim, uh especially rick patino i feel like a a lot of those guys uh are easy to root against but i for roy will uh for roy williams i feel like it he's impossible to not to to not like he he definitely comes off as very classy guy and I, I i when the news was announced that he was retiring they i was i was looking on uh, espn i was watching watching espn and they showed marcus page uh talking very emotionally about roy williams uh during senior night and how he changed his life and it seems really really nice uh of him uh to say the great things about roy williams and and yeah all-time great basketball coach yeah i know north carolina certainly has their haters being a top program just like every other top program in the country but i know that roy williams has always been very widely respected and he has a lot of great gifts that you'll constantly see of him just dancing in the locker room with his players and his players have loved him over the years and i think a big reason for that is because 
a lot of North Carolina's best players stay with the program for three or four years. So that's one thing that Roy Williams never really had a lot of success with was the one and done guys. You've seen John Calipari and Mike Krzyzewski and plenty of other coaches right, have Calipari a lot of too. success yeah, with those, those one and done guys. But if you look at North Carolina's best teams, the ones that wind up going deep in the tournament and end up winning the national championship. So 2005 teams started three juniors and two seniors. The 2009 team started three juniors and two seniors. The 2016 and 17 teams started three juniors, two seniors. Like there were always these older veteran players. Anytime you had freshmen in the mix, they either struggled or they were just guys that came off the bench. I mean, Marvin Williams wanted to be the number two overall pick and he was the sixth man in 2005. And that, that was kind of the story of Roy Williams is that when everyone else was just looking at these top recruits, guys just to have them in one year and just keep pumping out new ones every year with these top recruiting classes, Roy wanted the guys who could he could coach for multiple years, allowed them to kind of grow together in the the program and ultimately have success after uh, you know three or four years there. And I think that's something that uh, certainly drove Williams into this decision. I know the past couple of years, a lot of the struggles have been around some of those one and done guys, especially Cole Anthony. Very frustrating. Someone who he was like a top five recruit in the entire country and he couldn't stay healthy and the team struggled when he was on the court anyway. So that led to the 2020 season being absolutely terrible. And uh, this year, there were a lot of freshmen. Uh, there were certainly some older players, but a lot of freshmen on the team, and it uh, it felt like the team was had had some optimism moving forward. But then a lot of guys, particularly Walker Kessler, decided to transfer after the year. I don't know how much of that was because Roy Williams was leaving, or if it's a these guys left and Roy's like, all right, I just can't do this anymore, and that's why I decided to hang it up. But that was certainly a trend that we're starting to see, especially as you throw in the name image likeness stuff. I think that it was just uh, ultimately too much for Roy Williams and the the game was just kind of outgrowing him. And I, I like that Hubert Davis was the one to take over Roy Williams spot as head coach. And, and he was a guy who worked uh, as a college basketball analyst at ESPN for a few years before going to North Carolina to be an assistant and he was been an assistant coach there for for nine years or so and I like that he got the job instead of Brad Stevens or whoever else was talked about getting the North Carolina job I like that it was someone that was already in-house and was was you know grown as an assistant and and led into a head head coaching head coaching role yeah, Hubert Davis was an expected but admittedly underwhelming hire. So, so North you Carolina, I mean, you don't like the hire. I, I don't want to say that I dislike the hire. North Carolina, the, the big thing has always been keeping it in the Carolina family. They haven't hired a coach outside of the family since Frank McGuire back in 1952. And part of that is because Frank McGuire's successor, his top assistant, Dean Smith, was a head coach from 1961 to 1997. And then Bill Guthridge comes in three years, two Final Four appearances, but then he retires. And Matt Doherty comes in, former player, and doesn't go very well, which leads to Roy Williams, who's there for the 18 years. So it's not like they're they're constantly pumping out new coaches. You've had Smith and Williams, you know, succeeding McGuire, making most of that run just six years with two other guys. And I'm optimistic. Hubert Davis was Roy Williams' top pick 
He was the guy that Williams wanted to replace him. He was something that Williams groomed to be his replacement. So uh, I think that Roy Williams certainly deserves the opportunity to be able to pick the guy who succeeds him. So um, I'm, I'm optimistic that Hubert Davis is going to be great. But when you look at North Carolina, you're talking a top two program in the entire country. And when you throw in the history, the Michael Jordan brand connections, it seems like an opportunity that a lot of coaches would be willing to take. And it would have been great to see them put more of an effort to go outside of the family. But I guess Davis is going to be a guy. We'll, we'll see how long he lasts. I think if he has immediate success and he'll be around for a while, but I could certainly see the pressure coming on if uh, things are struggling and, you know, from there, the, the team wants to, to go outside of the family finally and, and try to bring in a bigger name. I guess that was the reason why I thought it was a good hire, because they've always take took in North Carolina guys. Yeah, so. and that, that makes sense. So personally, like the guy that I would have liked to see was Wes Miller. He's been the head coach at UNC Greensboro for the past decade. One of he the was, best He was a guy coaches. that was talked about uh, yep. as being the next guy. Yeah, and it, Davis was already on the staff. He'd been there for nine years, so it makes sense that he would be the first guy to get this opportunity. And uh, I'm I'm certainly excited about it. But it's one of those things where I, I don't know how much of it is me just being a Steelers fan who is constantly used to the Steelers promoting within and it not being that much of an upgrade that I'm like, oh, now North Carolina is doing the same thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to be as optimistic as possible. Like, they, I have no reason to believe that Hubert Davis can't be a great head coach just because he hasn't been before. But it's uh, it's one of those things where when you're a top program, you you like the idea of bringing in a, a top name. Now, who that top name would be, I don't know. Chris Beard already went to Texas Tech or left Texas Tech to go to Texas. Uh, Shaka Smart already went to Marquette. I, I did not want Brad Stevens for multiple reasons, one of them certainly being him already being the head coach of my NBA team. Uh, and if you look at guys like Mark Few and Scott Drew, why would they leave what they have going at Gonzaga and Baylor, given that they just went to the national championship game? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is one thing where we'll, we'll see how this goes. And it, if it doesn't go well, if it goes like Matt Doherty, then I think that they'll – They'll have to reconsider their option and uh, look at going outside of the family. So that will uh, totally wrap everything up with our college basketball talk. And let's move on to the Masters, a tradition unlike any other with the 21 turn, 2021 tournament ready to get underway this weekend. Jim Nance going from Indianapolis to Augusta. And Brian, I know you're very excited about this tournament, and I, I'm sure that a lot of people are very excited that it's happening in April after having been held in November just uh, a few months ago because of COVID. I mean, I'm glad they still had it last last year, but yeah, definitely not the same sort of excitement that I have now Now that it's in April than, than in November, especially with no patrons whatsoever in in the November Masters, but... I'm definitely excited for this year's for sure. So I think there are several names that are kind of noteworthy coming into this. And uh, I think that the first name that I want to start with is a guy who we've seen win this tournament before. We saw had a lot of success early in his career, but then he started to fall apart. But the guy, Jordan Spieth, won his first tournament since 2017 just last weekend the the Valero Texas Open and because of that he has shot up the leaderboards in terms of the the betting favorites so i guess what are your expectations for speed does winning last week having that momentum 
is is that enough to say like he can come out and win Augusta and we should be all looking at him as the uh the guy to keep it going so it's not just last week's win at Valero it's it's dating back to uh back to the waste management open the beginning of February where he's had this momentum dating back to that day he's finished fourth third 15th fourth 48th and then first and there are four top fours in there and the two outliers one of them being 15th at at the Genesis Invitational at Riviera that that course is as, as uh opposite of a course fit for for speed as there is and the fact that he finished 15th there, there is great and then this 48th place finish was at the Players Championship uh, at TPC Sawgrass where even when he was at his most elite form in 2015 when he was winning basically everything he 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 finished I, I think like 47th or 48th in that tournament that year as well so he's never played there well either so those are those are really uh just outliers so four top fours in his last six uh appearances is pretty uh it's pretty obvious that Jordan Spieth is back and I I fully expect him to contend for this year's Masters and he deserves to be one of the favorites this year I think that Jordan Spieth winning the Masters would be that kind of official like Spieth is back moment that people have been waiting for and he was the guy for a very yeah. long time and everyone I, thought I, that he was going to be like the the next Tiger Woods I, for a I, while when we talked about the Tiger Woods car accident I I remember ta- I remember remember saying that you know Tiger is the biggest draw uh, for golf fans for obvious reasons and Jordan Spieth is he's sort of a job but not really but when Tiger is not in these tournaments who is that next biggest draw and I think it's obvious that it is Jordan Spieth as that golden boy and for him to be back in the form that he was several years ago I it's I think it's great for the game and it'll uh, get more fans to tune in so another guy that is uh, making headlines he certainly made headlines at the tournament in November and uh, his his big strong drives his his ball speed everything is Bryson DeChambeau so at the November tournament he uh, infamously said that it's a par 67 for him he went out he did not perform as well as expected he started off with uh, some struggles and by the time he started to figure it out it was too late for him so do you think that the uh, the tournament in November was just kind of like a, a get right opportunity for him? Just a, okay, this this was bad, this is my low, and now he's going to be much more ready yeah. in April? I, I, I expect him to be more ready for this year's Masters than the last year's. And yeah, he, he got too ahead of himself saying it was a, a par 67. Hey, I got too ahead of myself saying I got a 41 ticket on this guy and he's a beast. Yeah. I, I felt like I was holding a pot of gold with the 41 ticket. So I was there with him getting uh, ahead of myself as well, uh, being high on Bryson then. But I'm still high on him, uh, especially for this year's Masters. He's coming in his last 24 rounds. Uh, he's coming into this tournament first in strokes gain, tee to green, first in ball striking, and first in off the tee, game, off the tee in his last 24 rounds. So he certainly has... Uh, the the driver to compete at this tournament and his uh, his irons are also uh, coming alive and uh, he's doing a better a better job at that aspect of his game. He finished he he won the Arnold Palmer Invitational and then he followed that up with a third place at the Players and that's a that's a place where driver is not really 
used at uh, a, a course like that that requires a lot of accuracy. So for for Bryson to finish that well in that kind of tournament, given his his skill set, that's pretty scary uh, for the rest of the field. So uh, I'm I'm pretty high on Bryson again, but I'll admit that is a little biased, but uh, I feel like I have a good take as well for him. Yeah, it it feels like we've seen this happen in other sports before where you have like that team that is just like they're they're ready to win and then they get on the big stage and they just crumble. Kind of like in Zaga. <laughs> kind of like in Zaga or I mean even just sticking with the college basketball reference, you have Virginia in uh in twenty eighteen and then in twenty nineteen and it's like, okay, what hap- what are the expectations from here? We saw what you just did, they go out and win it all. And I think that's a kind of thing that we've seen across sports. And I would not be surprised at all to see Bryson DeChambeau come out and, you know, have that redemption story himself. He's someone like you said, he's been he's been hitting the ball really well. And I, I've seen plenty of videos already even though it's early in masters week of him driving the ball 140 mile an hour swings 210 mile an hour balls and uh, i i would be surprised to not see him perform well this weekend and you know have a, a similar showing that he had in november agreed so another guy i guess just on the topic of bryson ashambo someone who i guess you can call his uh his rival in a sense brooks kepka and Kepka is someone who there was uh, a lot of questions over whether or not he'd actually be able to play in this one because he's been injured. So uh, he had knee surgery recently. There was a thought that he could end up missing months, but he's going to give it a go. Uh, do you think that this is something like it's just inevitable that he's going to struggle or is he someone who's so good that despite this injury, we could see almost like a, a Tiger Woods 2008 U.S. Open moment? I'm going to lean towards him contending because it's a major and I have all the faith that Brooks uh, is going to put in his full effort in, in majors, especially the biggest major of the year. And I, I mean, the injury to his knee is definitely um, is definitely concerning, uh, but he also said that if, if he didn't believe in himself that he could win this tournament, he wouldn't be here. So the fact that he is there, uh, I... I I, exp- I expect him to to contend. Maybe not win, but given the injury and given the fact that he hasn't played in a while, but it's Brooks Kepka in a major. Yeah, he's he's never won the Masters. His best finish was in 2019 when he finished tied for second. My so I I've been a big fan of Brooks Kepka in recent years. My hope is that he comes out and performs well, but I think just given what the injury timeline was supposed to be for him and the fact that he's kind of gutting this one out, my expectations are low. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ends up just having to drop out of the tournament if he even makes a cut, uh, you know, the first two weekends. But I'm certainly hopeful that it doesn't slow him down and he's able to put out his best effort and we see him contending on Sunday. Back, back in August during the PGA Championship, he was in one of the final groups uh, of the day uh, in, on Sunday, but then he shot a terrible round and a lot of that actually had to do with the fact that he was not playing at a hundred percent. So I could, I could see, I, I see all the upside, but I also see plenty of downside as well. If, if the, if the knee is a major issue, especially with given how big of a course uh, Augusta is and all the hills that you got to walk up. So we we just talked about DeChambeau and Kepka. These are two guys who have never won the Masters, but they've had success on other majors, including victories in other majors. Uh, 
So one guy who has never won a major, but we find him near the top of the betting favorites is the Spaniard John Rom. And I'm particularly intrigued by John Rom coming into this one because he and his wife just gave birth to their first child a few days ago. So am I crazy to think that this like baby effect can no, uh, translate not, on the course? Not at all. I, dating back to the same tournament five years ago, uh, it's definitely most known for Jordan Spieth collapsing on 12 with a quadruple bogey and and then finishing tied for second and losing to Danny Willett. And Danny Willett that year wasn't sure if he was going to play in that year's Masters because uh, he was also in that same situation where he was having uh, a baby, uh, him and his wife, and they were able to have it before the tournament and... He, and he able he was able to play the tournament and then win. So no, it's it's not crazy to have that idea. So he's someone who has played well at this course in the past. In 2018, he finished fourth. He's he's seeking that elusive three, first major. Three straight top tens. Yeah, and it, it feels like you know the the new new baby new dad could be uh could be good luck for him uh, heading into Augusta this weekend. Yeah, so, I absolutely agree. So we talked about Jordan Spieth earlier. He's someone who was uh, supposed to be the next big thing. We've seen him struggle recently. Maybe he can finally get back there this weekend. Another guy that is hoping to, you know, finally get back there that was, uh, you know, he was the next big thing before Jordan Spieth is Royal Rory McIlroy. So McIlroy, he's played well recently, right? He recently won a tournament. So no, he's actually no. coming into this tournament with is that the opposite? Uh, yeah, out of out of the the top contenders, he's actually coming in with a lot of uh, negative buzz uh, compared to guys like Rom, guys guys like JT and Spieth and Bryson and so on. But uh, I'm not. I'm actually higher than the public uh, on Rory than than most people because I, it's it's the Masters. It's his. It's honestly one of his best courses. Uh, and he has, I, I think he's has six of his last uh, seven uh, tries at this tournament. He's finished in the top ten with one. Of the, the one time he didn't finish in the top ten was a couple of years ago when he finished twenty first. And I don't know. I I'm I'm higher on Rory than most people. I know he's he's had struggles and he's uh, he, he he talked about. Uh, I'm, so you know how we did a top five on top Irish things and I put mm -hmm. Rory on my list and one of the reasons was because of how honest and transparent he is about uh the issues with the game or the, the issues with his his game uh and he talked about how he was chasing he chased too much of the Bryson factor of trying to match his his club speed and he just needs to go back to his his normal swing and uh, he also hired a new coach uh, as well after missing the cut at the players championship and so I think that could be a, a good boost for him, and uh, it's Augusta and uh, and it's Rory. So I, I'm I'm higher on I'm higher on him than others. Okay, maybe because you put him in your top five a few episodes ago, that's why I thought that he was like a you know relevant. He was at the top of his game. He was but... playing amazing in 2019, and he did okay. He did pretty well in 2020. Not great, but. Uh, 2021. I mean, for an average golfer, you you'd be thrilled with the results he's had. But in terms of his standards, he's been pretty so-so, I guess. And he's he's 19 to one uh, in the outrights. So he's he's actually a lot lower than uh, DJ and Spieth and 
Bryson and JT and Rom. Yeah, he he's still up there. He's someone who he's a big name. He's naturally going to to attract betters. He's someone who has won multiple majors, but he's never won the Masters. Yeah. And he hasn't even won a major since 2014. So he's I, I just I just think overdue maybe. I just think this year's Masters is going to be so much different from the November Masters as well. I think the I think the greens are going to play much firmer, and so I think the pl- I think players with higher ball flights. Uh, are going to have an advantage on their approach, on their approach shots, and Rory's a guy that uh, has plenty of high ball flight in his approach shots. So uh, I expect him to contend. Okay, and then one last guy I want to talk about, and uh, we can probably say we're saving the best for last. That is the winner of the Masters in 2020 and the uh, the betting favorite by. I believe most books, and that is Dustin Johnson. So we talked about all these guys and you know their possibilities of winning. Is it fair to think that Dustin Johnson could be overlooked again um, and end up pulling this one out, I, or is yeah, this going to be I, a tougher challenge for him? I think I think it's fair to say that people are overlooking him just because it's so hard to repeat uh, in a major, or especially the Masters. The last time uh, someone repeated in in the Masters was Tiger back in. 2002 which is uh, almost 20 years ago so yeah it it's really it's really difficult to uh, repeat uh, at this course and especially since the last time you uh this last year's masters was played in november so i I imagine the course will be a lot different i still think dj will be will be fine i'm I'm make the cut and uh, be up there in the leaderboard by sunday but yeah i i I can see why people are overlooking him, especially since his last couple tournaments he has he hasn't really played that well either. His last last two tries he's finished fifty fourth and forty eighth, and then he didn't do that that great in the match the WGC match play as well. I feel like Dustin Johnson is one of those guys who everyone wants to look elsewhere. Just because, I mean, he, you're used to him being at the top of the world rankings all the time, and you want to say you want to see something someone different. Else. Yeah, yeah, you want to you want to be like, no, Dustin Johnson isn't going to win. It's going to be somebody else. And then, you know, in the end, we we still see Johnson be successful, and of course, end up winning the Masters like he did uh, back in November. So certainly would not be surprising to see him at the top. It makes sense that he'd be the betting favorite, being the the defending champ. But um, I certainly expect some of the guys that we mentioned, you know, at least a few of them, to to put up a fight by the end so uh, all that being said do you have any uh sleeper guys that maybe i haven't thrown out that we should be looking into yeah I, i'm not i don't know if this constitutes as a sleeper since uh but in terms of debutants in terms of uh guys who are playing for the first time one guy i really like is uh will zalatoris you probably have never heard of him but he's no. a super Super young guy on the tour who has been uh, playing really well, and pretty much the narrative on him every week is that oh, it's his first time here. Even though he has all this talent, he I, he hasn't seen the course ever. But he he keeps making all these cuts and he keeps contending in a lot of big tournaments. And I don't know if you remember the tournament last year's U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Mm-hmm. He actually finished uh, in the top ten. Uh, or near the top ten in that tournament. And that was a difficult course. Yeah, so. one of the most difficult courses we've seen in a while. And uh, so, and he has the the distance, and uh, he has the a great GIR uh, percentage, uh, green regulation percentage, uh, one of the top ones on tour. So, uh, I expect him to 
make the cut and maybe finish. I don't want to say win or anything like that, but maybe top 20 or so. Uh, so that's a guy I like for sure. So he heads into this. Uh, just looking at the the odds I'm looking at on CBSSports.com, I'm not sure what book they use, but right. I, I found him on here. So Will Zalatoris, 66 to 1 odds. The same odds as Adam Scott and Louis Oosthuizen. Adam Scott won the tournament in 2013. Oosthuizen won it in 2012. So these are no. Guys so who in have 2012, experience. he finished runner up. Sorry, he came in second me- in 2012. Yeah, right. And then yeah. Adam Scott won 2013. Yeah, so yeah. those are two guys that have experience with this course. So I mean that that to me tells me that uh, Zalatoris is a uh, is a guy that can maybe maybe has some some high hopes for uh, for some people. So that would be interesting to see if uh, you kind of get that one right. I, I mean, he doesn't have any course experience, so that definitely hurts. I'm I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just saying that he has the game to compete here. Okay, so all that being said, uh, do you want to throw out your predicted winner for this weekend? Yeah, let's go with uh, Bryson take two. Yeah, I'll I'll go, uh, I'll go in down in flames with this pick as well. Especially if he struggles again and finishes outside the top twenty again. But he's my guy, and uh, he has ama- amazing driver, best driver on tour, and I think his irons are much better uh, now than they were uh, coming into last year's tournament, and. I feel like he's been a little bit more humbled by the experience of calling it a par 67, but not actually being in par 72. And um, I th- I think the one thing maybe to not like about Bryson is that you can't read, you can't have the the green books, or you can't look at the the books that they have, uh, you, like on other courses. So. Uh, especially since he's very scientific with his approach, especially on the green. So that might hurt him a little bit. But uh, other than that, I am I love Bryson this week. It's kind of like me picking the Dodgers to win the World Series every year. Just one of these years, you have to be right, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. The guy like Bryson is Broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> yeah, so I, I certainly would not be surprised if he ends up pulling it out, like I said earlier. Uh, I'm personally gonna go with the uh, the new daddy John Rom to uh, win his first major and uh, you know carry over that that good news with uh, the child. With I the, will admit that was the other guy I was debating. I figured you liked him a lot, and obviously I like Bryson a lot, so I figured you know what I'll take Bryson. But he was the the other guy on my list. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. I'm certainly excited to watch the Masters in Augusta in April. So. With that, let's move on to our five-question segment to wrap up the show. And, Brian, I will let you get started by asking the first question. Question number one. Major League Baseball has pulled the 2021 All-Star Game out of Atlanta in response to Georgia's new voting laws. What are your thoughts on this decision? Well, um, so I like this decision a lot more uh, before yesterday when I thought that there was a chance that the MLB would have the 2021 All-Star Game in Pittsburgh in honor of number 21, Roberto Clemente. They decided to have it in uh, Denver instead. But I guess just looking at its face value, pulling it out of Atlanta just in response to these laws, it's, it's not the first time we've seen something like this happen. In 1993, the Super Bowl was moved out of Arizona because the state of Arizona refused to recognize Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a, nas- as a statewide holiday. And even more recently, in I believe 2016, 
the NBA pulled the All-Star game out of Charlotte because of the uh, the infamous controversial North Carolina bathroom bill. So it's not something that is like this foreign thing for a professional sports league to put pressure on a state with laws that they disagree with by moving a big event out of it. So I'm, I'm totally okay with major league baseball deciding this. I'm okay with other organizations and companies that have, you know, a lot of money at stake to be able to say that, Hey, we're not a fan of this law because, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to get in too many specific details of this. I, I think that you can take the time to to read into it yourself. It's a 95-page bill. There's a lot going on here. It's not just about voter ID or you know taking making it a, a criminal act to hand out water to someone in line. There's a lot of intricacies of this bill, but if uh, if you believe that you're taking away someone's right to vote or making it more difficult, then like that is a basic constitutionally, uh, you know thing that we're all supposed to be able to do as as eligible americans so i'm uh i'm I'm okay with the men will be making this decision if they believe it's taking away anyone's right to vote or making it harder to vote yeah that's well said i mean uh, i'm i'm fine with the decision that uh mlb decided to remove the all-star game from georgia and i my first reaction was that georgia they, they definitely have some weird laws i remember Last year, uh, well, the pandemic's still still going on, but when the pandemic started, uh, Georgia has. I found out Georgia has this law where you don't need to take a road test to to get your license, and there are actually like thousands and thousands of people in the state of Georgia that never took the road test to get their license, which I just thought is it was just absurd. because they didn't want people in cars, like they just you know social distancing reasons right they just decided to give so so, so we put right? immature 16 year old kids uh, behind the wheel that's that's great yeah. that's that's the way to that's I, the way to fix that was problem. georgia the only state to do that because I, I, I don't remember i don't know but that. i know georgia was one state and i i just yeah. figured uh before reading into what the exact law was i i figured it'd be something ridiculous uh so which it, yeah i i agree we don't need to get in too much detail about it i'm i'm totally fine with the decision mlb made and another uh, one, thing is, I also, <laughs> I think what? it's funny that they're now in Colorado. Home Run Derby is just going to be a Oh, I know. Watch. I was just about to say, I'm excited for the Home Run Derby oh, can you in imagine, Colorado. Can you imagine Barry, be a lot of fun. Can you imagine Barry Bonds and McGuire and uh, Sosa up you and know, we're gonna on the get roids out, in that Carlos park? Sanin. Oh, well, so the 1998 Home Run Derby was there. And, oh, okay. Yeah, I I looked up the uh, stats. I didn't watch it. I I don't know what the rules were. They change the rules of the home run derby every year. It feels right. like, but the uh, the numbers were not crazy. Ken Griffey Jr. ended up winning it though. So love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I love that as well. Um, I mean, so I guess just real quickly in terms of it being in Colorado, just in general, I think that a big reason why Major League Baseball decided to have it out there is because the Rockies had forty two percent capacity for their opening day game. That's the second largest in the league, behind and the Rangers. Behind the Rangers, yeah. yeah at 100%. I, saw, I saw that yeah. picture. That was ridiculous. Yeah, and I, I think that the well, so I, I don't know how much has actually played into it, but Texas Governor Greg Abbott was supposed to throw out the first pitch at the Rangers game. He decided not to because of the MLB moving the game out of Atlanta, and he said that Texas would not welcome the All Star game. I don't know how much authority he really has on that, but I think that. Major League Baseball would have loved to have it in Arlington, not just because of the new stadium, but because they could reasonably have 100% capacity in July. And I don't know if every ballpark would have been I'm, willing to do that. 
I'm glad stadiums and ballparks are letting fans in now. I think that's great. Oh, but, I, I am but as seeing, well. But seeing that many, that much yeah. capacity in a park, like, ah, uh, you could, Everyone right he, next to each up, other. And they weren't wearing bit. masks either. They yeah, that, I, they had a very loosely mandated mask rule in that stadium. So that, that's uh, that's the one park where I'm like, all right, let's settle down. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure they only did it for the home opener. I think mm-hmm. that all the other games are going to have a reduced capacity. But yeah, that that seemed kind of silly to do that. So, all right. Question two. The Carolina Panthers have traded multiple draft picks to the New York Jets for Sam Darnold. What are your initial reactions? Well, my, one of my first reactions is good for Sam Darnold to get to a team not named the New York Jets because he his career was going to be ruined if he was there any longer. And so for him to be in Carolina, uh, a place that has uh, an offensive coordinator in Joe Brady, I feel like that could help Sam Darnold a lot. Uh, another another reaction I have is what exactly are they going to do with Teddy Bridgewater and a, a guy that they just signed last season and uh, if especially when they give up that much draft capital to get Sam Darnold I'd, I'd imagine that they're going to be moving on uh, from Teddy Bridgewater and yeah maybe this can help Sam Darnold uh, rejuvenate his career and uh, we'll see what happens and I, I and what do you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a solid trade all around. I think it's kind of similar to the the Carson Wentz trade with the Eagles and the Colts, where it's you're getting a quarterback out of a bad situation, giving him a chance to hit the reset button. The uh, the team that traded him away got decent capital given the circumstances, and in return, you know, the the team who who made the trade, they're they're giving up a decent amount, but they're not giving up too much. I mean, the Panthers are giving up a 2022 second round pick. I'm not surprised that Sam Darnold didn't cost a one, and I'm not surprised that the best they could do he, he is not a future a second round no. pick. No, it's I mean, the big thing with Darnold is whether or not you believe that he has this potential, he's working on a one-year contract with a fifth-year option. It's a big financial commitment. So I heard that the Panthers are planning on picking up the option, which I guess makes sense because, you know, that way you keep them around. But if it doesn't work in year one, you're stuck with them for, I believe, $20 million in year two. So it's it's uh, it was one of those things that was always going to limit his, uh, you know, what, what it would what it would take to bring him in and uh, certainly limit some of his suitors. So Carolina makes sense in the end. I mean, if I look at the Panthers, they have the eighth pick in the draft. We know that the Jacksonville Jaggers are going to take Trevor Lawrence. The assumption was that the Jets would trade Sam Darnold and take Zach Wilson as the number two pick. And obviously if the Panthers and Jets are talking Sam Darnold, the Panthers know that the Jets are going to head in that direction. And then the 49ers traded up to number three. So Number four, the Falcons are very likely to consider a quarterback, and if not, they're probably going to trade the pick. Their team's having discussions for that. So at that point, Carolina, the eighth pick, is looking at the fifth-best quarterback available. So if they don't believe that the fifth-best quarterback is better than Sam Darnold, why not take a take a nice roll of the dice on Darnold and hope that Joe Brady and Matt Rule can help him figure it out. You know, we, we saw that he, uh, he's had some moments with the jets, uh, more bad than good. He's had issues staying on the field, but he's a guy who was a number three overall pick for a reason. So I think it's a good move for Carolina. And it's one of those that if it doesn't really work out, which I'm not necessarily super high on, they can, uh, you know, look into addressing the quarterback position on their own down. Are, the road. are, are they really going to take 
a quarterback. Like, so if it's Justin Fields, would it really make sense to draft him and then have Darnold and Bridgewater? I imagine they get rid of Bridgewater. No, well, so they've already let Teddy Bridgewater explore options. I think that mm-hmm. they would like to keep Bridgewater around, and, you know, not. Which tells me, I think it'd be good for two reasons. One, you're not fully committed to Darnold. At that point, you can at least have a competition between two guys that want to be starting quarterbacks. And, um, you know, at the same time, like I said, Darnold has had injury concerns. That way you can, you know, turn it over to Bridgewater, who we've seen fill in just fine in injuries in the past. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't anticipate Carolina using the eighth overall pick on a quarterback at this point. I think that they're going to look to, you know, another position and, you know, they'll figure out the the quarterback position down the road if it turns out they don't believe in Sam Darnold long term. Yeah. Another thing is I'm, I've never been a big Sam Darnold fan. I don't think he's, I, I think he sucks, but at the same time, I can't say that with 100% conviction because he's been with the Jets for and his Adam whole career. So, specifically. so is it, is it the team or is it him? Uh, that we'll we'll find out uh, next season. Yeah, I mean, we we saw how Ryan Tannehill turned his career around when he left Adam Gase yeah. and the Dolphins to go play for the Titans. So there's there's certainly reason there's hope. to be there's optimistic. Hope. There's hope. Yeah. 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 So I mean, just all said and done, good good trade for the Jets. Good decision. Move on from him. Reset it financially with a guy like Zach Wilson as the number two pick, and Carolina. No reason not to to take this chance on Darnold, just given where they stand in the draft. All right, question number three. Would you rather have your own private jet or your own private island? Yeah, so uh, private islands are something that are you know, a little, uh, little suspect these days with the, uh, the, the whole Je- Jeffrey Epstein stuff. That was the first thing that came to mind. Obviously, there are more private islands than that. Regardless, though, I would like the opportunity to go wherever I want rather than just have my own place. And I would personally much rather have a private jet, be able to travel freely whenever I can to wherever I need to go or want to go. So this one is kind of easy for me, private jet. I'm glad you are agreeing with me because I would rather have my own private jet than private island. And the thing is, I don't like to fly, and it's not because I'm afraid to fly. It's because I don't like the travel experience and sitting mid 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 row or mid mid seat uh, in coach and uh, and ha- I'd rather have my own private jet where it's just me and yeah, go, get to go wherever I want, get to use my own bathroom and and whatever. Yeah, so I would absolutely take the private jet as well over the private island. So I'm glad we're in agreement. Okay, that's that's good. Uh, the uh, the Pirates are losing to the Reds five nothing in the second inning. Tyler Naquin just hit his second home run of the game already. So a little distracted by that, but that's okay. The no, Pirates that's aren't trying that, to win. That's, that's okay. I mean, <laughs> hey, the the Red Sox this year have just they got. Swept I by I, the I literally Orioles. said just don't suck out of the yeah. gate. Just don't mm-hmm. suck, or or else you're going to be irrelevant. And what do they do? They go zero and three versus the Orioles. Probably yep. the worst team or one of the worst teams in baseball. So I don't blame you. You know, I couldn't even watch any of those games because MLB is stupid and they black out Orioles and national games in Raleigh for some reason. Well, you you should actually thank them for, because yeah, hey, you did not yeah, miss a thing. I know. <laughs> I, I didn't miss a whole lot. But uh, I will say anyone who wants to boycott MLB over the All-Star Game decision, it is very easy to boycott MLB because it is very difficult to actually be able to watch baseball games with some of their, their stupid blackout rules. 
All right, so question number four. Warner Brothers released the first trailer for Space Jam, A New Legacy, starring LeBron James and Bugs Bunny. Are you excited for it? Honestly, no. I'm, I'm not really. I, I like the original one, and seeing the trailer for this one, I, it didn't really get me pumped up for it. And I love the original one. I, I Nothing against LeBron, but just <laughs> uh, I love the Jordan version, and uh, it just didn't look it doesn't i'm not i'm not super pumped for it so no i don't so know you idea. sent the the trailer to our I did, uh, fantasy football group i, I text, did so but I, I wanted to hear everyone else's thoughts i it. figured that I you were excited I, I for put, it i put the trailer in the group but i didn't yeah. put like oh i can't wait to see this i put in the <laughs> yeah, group true, just to hear just what other people trailer. were going to say and i didn't there there obviously weren't any other comments yeah, well, I, I I just wanted to hear what you you and Ben and then everyone else in the fantasy football committee were gonna say about it. But yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to say anything just because I think that a lot a lot of my thoughts on this are unpopular. I'm actually surprised though that you're not excited to be by it. I'm I'm not either. And one thing I'll say is, I don't love the original Space Jam. I think it's oh. okay. I I remember the last time I watched it, I was like. I mean, it's a good movie if you're a kid, but I'm not. I didn't enjoy this as much anymore watching it as an adult. I didn't think that it was a great. Well, I'm not story. saying it's like an Oscar-worthy film. Yeah, I'm just saying, no, like, and hey, I get it's that. a great kids movie. And and uh, exactly, and we're adults now. I'm I'm gonna be. I think. Yeah, but I'm. Yeah, it I'm, comes out in the summer. I'll, I'll be 25 yeah. years old when this yeah. comes out. I I'm not super excited about yeah, it. And I'm the fact 26. That still like, just makes I, even less excited. I'm 26. I still like SpongeBob and a few other kids things. Okay, but you don't watch the new SpongeBob movie. Movies because no. you know that oh, you don't enjoy them as yeah, much those, as you did those as a kid. look terrible yeah and it i think that that's kind of my thought on this one uh i will say that i find it hilarious that even in this space jam world lebron is looking to build a super team he's like recruiting the iron giant and superman and batman and all michael jordan needed was Bill Murray and Newman from Seinfeld and yeah of course lebron needs this uh you know every every great yeah, uh, well, superhero. Well, so. well, he well he had Bill Murray, uh, Norman from Seinfeld, and then the rest of the Looney Tunes, like uh, yeah, I Bugs know, and, uh, but, okay, Daffy Duck, and then the secret stuff. <laughs> yeah, none of them are are uh, you know star athletes, if you if you will. So, I I'm not overly excited about this. I mean, it it's. Avengers Infinity War times a hundred, it feels like, with all the uh you know, the crossovers and everyone from Warner Brothers involved. They even have clockwork orange people in it. Like they're just going over the top with this. I I'm not personally excited about this one and it's it's goes beyond just who stars in it. So one thing I will say, I do think it's pretty cool that uh that, that clip they had of Lola Bunny doing like That was the, the one Wade thing pose. I did like, the yeah. the D Wade uh thing where Lola was doing the same thing D-Wade was during the the Allie Uper play uh, to LeBron as well. So I, yep. I'll and admit that LeBron was the one. misses the dunk. Even better. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, was, that was the one something. thing I liked about uh, that trailer. Yeah, so you know, to answer the question, no, I'm not very excited about this and I can honestly say that I don't anticipate seeing this movie. At least I don't anticipate seeing it in theaters, paying money, yeah, going out my way to prob- watch it. That's definitely something I'd probably watch on Netflix or whatever. Uh HBO Max is what it's yeah. gonna be on. I I so. guess the only real disagreement is that you didn't lo- you didn't care for the the first the original Space Jam. I let's not I, say I, I didn't. Let's say I don't now. Like mm-hmm. I, I 
I did. I mean, it's still fine, but it's it's not a movie that I enjoyed I still, watching it as an adult. So I don't think I would enjoy watching still, this one still, as an adult either. Yeah, I I I'd still like it. Uh, so last question: you can have, uh, you can only have one French fry shape for the rest of your life. Uh, which one are you choosing? Classic, crinkle, curly, or waffle fries? Yeah, so this question was inspired by a tweet from the Food Network who, when they tweeted out, it was eliminate one forever. Classic, crinkle, curly, or waffle. So to me, I think that's an easy one and that I'm eliminating crinkle fries. Do you agree with that? So no, I'm eliminating curly fries. Really? All yeah. right. So that, okay. So that right there. Cr- I mean, I crinkle, crinkle would be second though, mm-hmm. to be fair. But yeah, I would, curly fries for sure would be uh, the first one I would eliminate. Okay. So we, we already have a little bit of a disagreement there. Um, and when I, so I guess trying to look at it from which one would I keep forever? I think this one's way tougher because here, instead of keeping three fries, you only keep one. And so, like I said, I'm eliminating crinkle. And I don't hate crinkle. I think there are some good crinkle fries out there. But for the most part, if I have a French fry that I don't like, it's going to be a crinkle. Could be a classic. But there's a lot of great classic that I love. And that that's a tough one here. And that this classic can be in so many different ways, whether it's just like a, a little shoestring or like a, a big heavier one. I mean, if I'm just talking some of my favorite French fries out there, Five Guys, McDonald's, those are classic fries. Those stand out. Most places have classic fries. So part of me wants to go with classic fries just because of how how many different options there are, all the variety. But that also feels like a boring answer. To, so to me, it comes down to waffle and curly. When I think of waffle, I think of Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A french fries. When I think of curly, I think of Arby's. And Arby's curly fries are very good. I am a big fan of curly. I know you said you're not. Um Part of me would lean toward waffle, but that's a really tough one for me between waffle and curly. And, uh, you know, one thing I will say in terms of curly that almost makes me want to go with them is when I was younger, uh, whenever I would go to a Celtics game with my dad, we would always go to Hooters beforehand. And I loved going there, not because of the women, but because of the curly fries. Like that used to be the highlight of the experience. I couldn't care less about what they looked like or what they were wearing. I just wanted those curly fries served with my you chicken tenders. You admire the curly fries over the women. I haven't been to a Hooters in 15 years probably. So I, mean, I, I haven't don't know. been to one forever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, just, I, I assume <laughs> that I have different, uh, different opinions about it these days, but I do remember loving their curly fries. So the, the um, thing is with me is that I like to have a little crunch in my French fries and curly fries are definitely the least crunchiest out of the, the that, four. Yep, that's fair. So yes. that's, that is my reasoning in terms of, uh, which one I'm eliminating. And I don't, okay. it's not that I don't like curly fries. Like, I, I like all four of them. I'm just saying if I have to nitpick between the four, that's why I'm eliminating curly so fries. So I will say I've had some bad curly fries before and they can be kind of soggy and gross. That's like why, that, that's another thing. Like, they're definitely the soggiest of. Yeah. It, I'm not so, saying all, every single curly fry I've had is soggy. I'm just saying there have been mm-hmm. more than, there's been more than one occasion where it's been soggy. Yeah, and I've never had a bad waffle fry, or at least I can't think of many, mostly because most of the waffle fries I've had are from Chick-fil-A. So to me, I would say waffle fry is the one that I would keep forever, but it's uh, curly fry is a close second. So I kind of gave my order already for half of it, where curly would be last for me, and then crinkle would be third. So that leaves it to classic and waffle. 
And I'm going to go with, I, this is the boring answer, but I feel like it is the right answer. And that is the classic one because there is a lot of variety in terms. Like you said, there's uh, five guys or McDonald's or BK or Wendy's or whatever. Like Pretty much the any place. restaurant. Yeah. Like just like a your your classic mom and pop shop. Yeah. If they have French fries, it's going to be classic. Yeah. They're pretty much majority of places have classic fries but there's also a little bit of a different taste to each each uh restaurant or fast food restaurant you go to so i'm it is a boring answer but i'm i am gonna go with classic and waffle would have been a close second it might be the right answer for that reason just because of variety it's much more difficult to get sick of it because you can have so many different ones whereas waffle it's it's fairly standard throughout so that's one where it's part of me is almost thinking okay waffle might be my favorite but if i had to just go with one classic feels like the safe one just because you have so many more options of classic fries than you do of the others but this is a fun one i think it, it got a lot of people thinking and uh, i know a lot of people love french the, fries so the first qu- <laughs> this is the one question i wanted to bring up out of the, the yeah. five that we did yeah it's a so great that was saved best yeah, for last. great question posed by uh food network for sure all right, so Brian, uh, we I think successfully put together uh, our shortest episode in a very long time, and <laughs> I, I I know that we've been talking about wanting to have shorter episodes, so I think uh, we did a good job with this one. We'll see if we can continue to do it in the future. One thing you'll notice is we didn't talk football in this one at all. So uh, we talked that, about the Panthers trade. Yeah, I guess true. That's a good point. We did just talk about football, and that that we did one question about football. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably end up having some more football talk in upcoming episodes as we uh, we approach and uh, get through the NFL draft and other offseason stuff that comes up. But this was uh, I think it was, a, it was a, a good one. Good, good size. So I hope that a lot of our listeners appreciate this uh, being a, a quicker listen than they're used to. So for my co-host, Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone.